Hello and welcome to Who Watches the World Cup. I think, possibly, still, the only podcast on the internet officially sponsored by Pussy Riot. <laughs> no, no, that's not technically true. I wish it was true. But we may be the only podcast on the internet that compares international football and international politics to gauge the success of both. It's Euro 2020, Dave. The bloody tournament's already begun. We've just seen England win their first match against Croatia. England. We're currently one all through Austria, North Macedonia. How are you enjoying the tournament so far? All of our previous episodes have been recorded before the tournament started. So we're here right now, during Group C, who we're going to talk about. How's the tournament going for you? Well, it's been a bit of an emotional roller coaster at times, but just in terms of football, uh, I think it's been a bit of a slow start, Okay. if I'm honest. Um, I'm enjoying it. We've, we've, we've watched five games already. Sixth yeah. game is currently currently taking place. But we've seen at least the, a few uh, a couple of games that have had a good number of goals. Um, a couple more of the edgy ones and some obviously real life drama thrown into. So it's it's um, started, uh, hopefully as it means to go on and it will just grow and grow. And um, yeah, we should see some real classic matches coming up, I think. Yeah, I've really enjoyed the games that we've seen so far. Out of the ones that we've watched, because we've sat there and watched a fair, fair number of them at this yeah. point. This is our second match of today that we're through. Which of the... Ooh, ooh. Which of the ones have you... There's going to be a lot of that. Get Just distracted as a, yeah, by as, as a warning, yeah, there's going to be a lot of, oh my God, anything in time North Macedonia. Is it safe to say your second team, if, if not your first team, are, is North Macedonia? I mean, I'm pretty invested. I was invested in like a, oh, well, this is kind of cute. And then they equalised. And I'm like, North Macedonia? I didn't realise how, how strong I was with them. But out of the games that we've watched so far, which has been the most engaging for you? Um, I suppose... The most engaging game was probably. It's it's easy to say England Croatia I suppose, mm-hmm. but because that even though that was only one goal in it, it was quite interesting to watch. It was interesting to see that each team kind of come uh, to and fro in in the ascendancy and the beginning of the game at least with England really, you know, really kind of showing some strength and controlling the game and against a good Croatia team that was quite pleasing. Wales Switzerland I think was the most tense game. Yeah. Uh, that was uh, you. You were sort of just biting your fingernails, hoping that Wales weren't gonna weren't gonna lose a goal at the end and uh, keep that that um, that valuable point that they got. Uh, and we didn't actually get to watch the Belgium Russia game, which turns out to be the one that had the most goals and Belgium flying as we'd expect, even without Kevin De Bruyne. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, a, a few of the games have had a lot a lot going for them. Yeah, it's been great to to watch them with you and record together with you in the same room right now. It feel I feel as lucky as that ball driven to the centre of the pitch <laughs> by that remote control car in the I, Italy. I'd actually forgotten about that. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad to bring it back to you because that's how my heart feels right now. My heart feels like it was placed in that remote control car and driven so that we could record together. Oh, that's and, that's very sweet. Yeah, well, right now I'm nowhere near as funny as it was to watch a ball being driven onto the pitch by a remote control VW. That was pretty horrific. And it was one of the things I wanted to bring up from the politics side of the Euros as well, is do you think they choose sponsors based upon how disgusting the company is? (laughs) Because knowing FIFA and UEFA as we do and how corrupt they are, all of the sponsors they work with seem to have some tie to either genocide or modern-day slavery. And... 
That seems it seems like a big call. Who? Which? Which car was it that was driven? It was some new electric car made by made by Volkswagen. Volkswagen. Yeah. Yes, so, and we all know the history of Volkswagen. Oh, sure, the we? history. If you go yes. back far enough, but I yes, was, but I if you know, to... you don't say, oh, but the history of the Nazis. If you go back that far, well, the, more recently, VW were in a scandal in, regarding emissions. That's very which true. Is probably a big part of why they've really been they've pushed electric cars forward and they've put out a whole fleet of electric cars some of which are ugly as fuck yes and, and horrific and some of them look like normal cars and some of them are kind of funky and cool but um, yeah I w- it's wouldn't be too much of a stretch to say that they were maybe uh, panicking um, mm-hmm. a few years ago yes then we move over to uh, Qatar Airways who we've seen obviously Qatar big ties to FIFA because they've got the World Cup coming um, Qatar, also owners of PSG, the Qatari Investment Group, um, well known for using slave labour to build their uh, football stadiums in the boiling, boiling heat, hotter than Baku, Azerbaijan. And that, that was really hot. Hotter hot. than Wembley Stadium this afternoon. Yeah, they, they wouldn't stop talking about how hot that was. <laughs> yeah, so but of course, Qatar Airways, again, another link to modern day slavery, just throwing that out there. And of course, Alipay. The, uh, the which every time it comes on the ITV screen, I get a little bit aggressive. <laughs> you do, you That's spit <laughs> every time Alipay comes on TV. Alipay, the, the, the Chinese, uh, Chinese app. Uh, another one pretty much tied to the exploitation of the weaker people and stamping down on democracy in Hong Kong. So, do UEFA deliberately choose the companies that are... Or is it just a thing of modern-day globalisation where you just can't avoid companies that are tied into slavery... And, uh, and and genocide. Maybe, maybe, or maybe it's with that sort of the corruption that's connected to FIFA and UEFA is that they're all a bit chummy with each other. Like, mm. plenty, well, they all know mm. the other organisations that do things a little bit off the books, a little bit under the table. Yeah, and there may be more benefits um, paid to UEFA and FIFA by these companies than than will be publicised. Yes, and that is great because that's going to get us into everything we're talking about today. Because previously in our last episode we spoke about Russia and how corruption you know is is a big problem there and things like that and boy are Russia coming back in a big way in today's episode let me tell you that group C who have we got in group C Dave? Not Russia so I'm, I'm interested to see where this comes oh, from. Yeah. Uh, group C is uh, teams currently playing right now Austria and North Macedonia Woo-hoo! as well as Netherlands and the Ukraine. Oh yeah right now I'm gonna guess that your pick well, the winner of this group is going to be the Netherlands. Right, Holland. Holland's are going to... You, in, surely, surely, Dave, in the great history of footballing powerhouse, Holland, they've got to top this group, right? I mean, I wouldn't say it was a given. Oh, not, uh, is it a Shea given? <laughs> nice, nice <laughs> reference. I'm really impressed with you there. Well done. Thank you. I believe at one time he played for Bristol Rovers. No way. I'm pretty sure. Shea given played for Bristol Rovers. Pretty sure. That's cool. I did not know that. That's the obscure reach of today's episode. We're, later on, <laughs> we're going to go into talking about the North Macedonian national team and the Shea Given reference is the obscure one of this episode. <laughs> well, that's the one that's least, least appropriate. Yes, that's true. This is true. I love Shea Given. I, I always, love Shea Given too. I was always annoyed that his stats didn't seem to be very fair on championship yes, manager yeah. games. I'd always buy him, or try and buy him, but he never wanted to leave fucking Newcastle for some uh. reason. Um... Holland. Yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. Holland have a really great squad of players. Even they and even with the players they've got they had to leave out. Like Jasper Killerson, the goalie from the World Cup, is not in the squad. Um he had he got COVID. Oh. Bad bad news. And then obviously Virgil van Dijk, their captain, is 
ruled himself out of this tournament after recovering, spending the whole season basically recovering from injury and this seemed to be a step too far. Uh, Donny van der Beek has injured as well, even though he's not had the greatest of starts at Man United. A few other players that have, uh, Ryan Barbel and Kevin Strootman, who are very experienced players, they've been left out. So if you can leave players like that out, um, you know, it goes to show the, the strength of your squad. But they didn't qualify, I don't think, as strongly as the Ukraine did. So the Ukraine are, I want, it's not even really fair to say a dark horse, um, because they've shown that they've got great strength in their qualification program and they're managed by Andrei Shevchenko, which mm. I did not know, even though it's been like five years in the job. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, Andrei Shevchenko? No way. That's oh, awesome. Oh, 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 oh. North Macedonia almost just scored. Oh, almost got their second. Um, but no, I mean, Holland are obviously uh, historically a, a, a quality nation, yeah. although it had this weird kind of sporadic r- record of of um, qualifying for tournaments, having like one one of the, I think they won the Euros in eighty eight, um, or something like that, and then they they didn't qualify for a couple. And similar with the, with the last World Cup, you'd right. think they would be one of these teams that would be there and thereabouts, but the qualification sometimes seems to make them stumble. Is it another one of those situations where is it just a generational gap, just waiting for that? You know, for your Van der Beeks and so on to to get to the point where you know they're in their prime they're maybe still a little bit young like we know that Ajax the Ajax team from a few years ago were just full to the brim of incredible Dutch players but maybe they're just not quite there yet I suppose because a couple of those quality players because the thing with that uh, the um those that Ajax squad of of young players is they all kind of and Ajax is one of those feeder clubs a bit like Southampton where they raise great young players and then inevitably they go off to play for bigger teams so uh, like De Ligt went off to play for Juventus and um, Frankie de Jong went to Barcelona and they are so, I guess they shouldn't really be classed as young players they're in like 24 mm. sort of age so they should be kind of be hitting their prime and I think they are quality and very important for them and da- da- well, Donny van der Beek I suppose it should be in his prime too mid-20s but um, maybe the move to Man United has been a difficult transition for him and he might find but then yeah the players that they've still got in that team that will make things happen Memphis Depay Georgie Wijnaldum, who's a favourite of mine. Um, uh, yeah, so I think that I said two names and I said, yeah, as if that was all I needed to say. But there's a big list of players that are all world-class, all play at high quality, all around Europe, at high, at high standard. So they're one of these teams that, um, and nations that in the past as well, have had all this promise, all these quality players. You talk about golden generations. Holland have kind of just had a golden century right where there hasn't really been a generation gone by where they didn't have great players you think of Edgar Davis Clarence mm. Seydorf the De Boers mm-hmm. Van Nistelrooy Robert Van Persie Marco Van Basten if you go back even further Ruud Hullet like they've always had players that would comfortably sit in like the top 20 players in the world always but never re- maybe not ever had that kind of enough galvanization I think they finished second at um, the World Cup uh, I think 2012 at Spain won mm-hmm. so you know they've they they're, they're like the nearly men. Europe's yeah. nearly men. Right. And it took the generation that had Van Basten and Hullet and um, Rudy Voller and people... Maybe that's after Rudy Voller, but... And he's German. So forget that. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of people with perms. Because there's Rudy Hullet had a perm. Yeah. And Frank Rijkaard. That's oh. right. Not Rudy Voller. Um, yeah, so the 88, they had arguably the three, three of the best players in the world. And they won the Euros. But since then... Their their qualities players have been more 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 spread out and never quite made it happen. Mm. Yeah, I know it. 
I would get chastised if I didn't bring up Van der Beek and say, oh, what's Solskjaer doing bringing in such a classy midfielder and then not playing him? That's, that's for Steve. <laughs> that's, that's, that's one of Steve's criticisms. He likes Van der Beek and he doesn't like that Solskjaer doesn't play him. So just throwing out some love for Van der Beek there should probably be playing more than, than he is. I would agree. I would agree. But yeah. then I also wouldn't know who, besides Pogba, I don't know um, who, he'd, who he should replace. Anyone. Just for the sake of criticism. Fred. Right. Let's, Let's yeah. say Fred. Fred, yeah, absolutely. Like, the guy doesn't even have a surname. <laughs> okay. So, any, anything more about, about Holland? Or you, is it just a case of, you know, probably they should win, but they're not looking their best. Anything well, could happen in this tournament. I, do, I just of. don't trust them. Right. I feel like right. it's, it's not... Uh, it wouldn't be an outside bet to see them go really far, but then... They could be another one of these Holland teams that yeah. loses to the Ukraine, draws against Austria or Macedonia, and then doesn't go through. Like, mm. or they could win all three of their games and and charge through to the next round. It's as hard to predict who's going to show up. Okay, so do you think it's probably between Holland and Ukraine for who should top the group? They're undoubtedly the two. There's right. a there's a gulf between those two and then Austria and and North Macedonia. Yeah. Well, let's jump into Ukraine then. So. Again, Ukraine, good footballing nation. Yeah. There's not, you know, just a, a good, you know, they've just got great players, the domestic teams, they've got a few good domestic teams. You know, when you, they show up in, uh, they show up in uh, competitive, you know, a, a continental football. Mm. It's, you, you're never like, ah, Dynamo Kiev, yeah, that'll be a walk in the park. <laughs> it's like, ooh, yeah. okay. Those, ooh, especially those are way ties and never yeah. fun for anyone who has to go up against them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So what do you make of the uh, the Ukrainian national team? I think it's pretty strong. Um, they qualified for the tournament top of their the qualification group ahead of Portugal. Oh, wow. They didn't lose a single game. Won six and drew two of their games. So... They've come into it strong. Andrei Shevchenko is their manager. Oh, yeah. For five years. For five years, yeah. And they've been strong throughout that, that period period of time. And uh, like uh, last month, their FIFA World ranking was actually lower than Austria. I'm not quite sure how that, how that really works. Um, but this is like their third, their third appearance at, um, at, a, at a European Championship. Uh, but, yeah, I think they're one of, another one of these nations where you can... A lot of their team... Should be a lot of their squad, sorry, should be very close knit. A lot of their squad still plays in the Ukraine. The teams like you said, Shakhtar Donetsk, Dynamo Kiev, they make up the vast majority of that squad. And then you get a few outliers. I know they've got Alexander Zinchenko plays for City and Andriy Yarmolenko, who's their captain, top goal scorer of the current crop, um, plays for West Ham, but maybe a bit like Van der Beek, maybe not being given the, the game time that his quality deserves if. I at least is me my opinion. I don't think he necessarily puts in the work rate that warrants mm. his selection, but he's definitely got got a lot of quality, a lot of class. But um, yeah, I feel like this is a, a real tight knit squad that can really perform, and I'm really eager to see how they how they get on in their first match against Holland because that's going to be their definitely their toughest game of the group. And I, will they go out going? I think we can beat this Holland team, or will they go out going? Let's just not lose this this Holland game. And then we we can probably say, uh, safely, for as long as we put in a shift, we'll probably beat Austria and we'll probably beat North Macedonia and then we're through. So, yeah, I think this will be, um, while we're watching Austria and, Mont- and Montenegro. <laughs> no, that's not what they're called. You're not that far off. No. 
uh, Austrian and um, North Macedonia as kind of a, a fun kind of minnows playoff kind mm-hmm. of game. Um, it's almost like this is like the undercard for the yeah. the, the main event this yeah. evening. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, this is a really nice segue into the political side of the conversation as well because this Ukraine team is fired up. Like we've seen it, it's been all over the news and, and social media and everything how... Ukraine are like are ready for this tournament. They're so ready for this tournament. They're willing to create an international incident to be ready for this tournament. Yeah, yeah. And that goes to that really goes to show. And this is you know I'm going to jump in for my my first political section now, Dave, and just to talk about Ukraine because this is our the, our first featured appearance from the Russians. This is when they're bloody they're come they're subbing in they're subbing themselves in, um, as the perhaps the villain the villain of this story because as you may have seen on um, on the news and in various conversations, the Ukraine uh, the Ukrainian national team shirt has a map of Ukraine on the front, and uh, it includes a territory known as Crimea, which you may have heard of. Because it's a bloody nightmare. <laughs> it's a political bomb over there. Um, they've got this map of Ukraine that includes uh, includes Crimea. And they've got a slogan, or what they had, a slogan on the shirt that says, Glory to Ukraine and glory to the heroes. And um, the Russians were like, This is a breach of international law. Because they, well, in footballing regulations, I guess. Because they've put a political slogan on their shirt by having glory to the heroes. I think they had glory to Ukraine inside the shirt and glory to the heroes on the shirt. Yeah, yeah, both on the back. Yes. So the back on the outside, it says glory to the heroes. On the inside, it's almost as if it's for the players only, it says glory to the Ukraine. Yes, yes. And so this has ignited all kinds of, well, it's, it's... it's a thing. I feel like that's not even the biggest thing in this of this uh, scandal, this issue that Russia have with with this shirt. Well, the, go the on, slogan then. seems to be playing a second fiddle to the bit that you mentioned about to the map. About the map. Well, let let me get into both, and you'll understand why the glory to the heroes has subsequently been moved, because it's actually been removed. Removed. Uh, I think maybe they even put that inside as well. I'm not sure, but it, it's gone. Ukraine, after Russia complained, the Ukrainian FA had to sit down with uh, UEFA. And UEFA were like, uh-uh, girlfriend, you're not having glory to the heroes on the outside of your shirt. And anyway, so, yes, as you point out, we have this map uh, of, of Ukraine, which includes the area of Crimea. In 2014, Crimea was annexed by Putin's Russia where they just went, it's ours now, and and they took it. This is a problem that goes back a long way. So depending, how much time do you have? As <laughs> We've got time. We've got time. So the, the history between UK and Ukraine and Russia goes back centuries and centuries and centuries. This problem, the current situation, really starts to take place... Uh, in the 1980s, because at that time we've got the Soviet Union. And uh, the reason the Crimea has historically always been so important to Russia, to such an extent that we fought the Crimean War between Russia and the U- and Great Britain and the Ottoman Empire, where we fought Russia for control of Crimea back, what, in the 19th century, was because Crimea is th- Russia's entry into the Black Sea. 
right? It's a naval... It, it needs it, basically, to get trade into the Mediterranean. Because Russia has... It's a massive country. It's basically... Well, it's entirely landlocked, except for it has one port in the north, over by St. Petersburg. It's got one on the other side, over by Vladivostok, bordering on the Pacific. And then it's got Crimea in the, uh, um, for, for, the, for the Black Sea. And so Russia has always needed um, this port. And it's one of the reasons that the Russians have always had such a rivalry with the Turkish. Because as you try to exit the Black Sea into the Mediterranean, you have to go through Istanbul or Constantinople. Because Istanbul spans across both sides of that... Uh, mm. What would you call it? That delta? I don't know. Whatever it's called. So there have been many wars between the Russians and the Turkish or the Ottomans for control of entry into the Black Sea and exit from the Black Sea. Now, in the 1980s, there was the Soviet Union. And so the Soviet Union controlled Russia, Ukraine, Kazakhstan, all of these, uh, all of these countries that were, were ex-Soviet countries. But during that time, because that was the naval base of the Soviet Union... All, it was full of Russian military personnel, basically. It was the, where they kept all of their, their navies. It's where they trained uh, dolphins how to be weapons of mass destruction. It's all true. Is that real? Yes. Yes, all, all, all of this stuff. <laughs> um, but what happened was, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, Ukraine becomes its own country, Russia becomes its own country. But Crimea has a large population of Russians who moved there because they were Soviet Union military personnel. Right. So it's technically it was technically territory of the Ukraine with a lot of people that would say, no, I'm a Russian citizen. And that's when the shit starts to hit the fan. That situation was mostly fine because Ukraine and Russia, Ukraine has always been like the little brother of of Mother Russia, I guess. Mm. The, um, and the, the language is very similar. Ukrainian is kind of a dialect of Russians. After living in Russia, they can't. They look down on the Ukrainians. Like Russians have Ukrainian nannies, and they think Ukrainians should really just do what the Russians tell them to do. And what that meant was was that they, you know, it was fine that there were Russians living in Ukraine, and it was fine that you know Ukraine had that naval base because the Russians just kept their naval bases in Ukraine, and there was it wasn't a problem because they were best friends. Then in twenty fourteen, I don't know if you remember those famous. Um, protests that took place in Ukraine in about 2014, where Ukraine was moving closer and closer to the European Union. And just when they were thinking, yeah, maybe we're going to sign the, the, this deal with the European Union, the then president of Ukraine went, actually, no, we're going to be best friends with Russia still. And people were pissed. The people of Ukraine were furious. And when I say the people of Ukraine, I mean the people of Kiev and like Western Ukraine. The ones who think of themselves as Ukrainian, not the ones who think of themselves as Russians. Where's Minsk? Is Minsk in the Ukraine? No, Minsk is in Belarus. Ah, oh, damn. That's it. I, I just I was kept thinking, I'm listening to you going, where's Minsk? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Minsk is in Belarus. But Belarus is another one of those countries in a very similar situation. Because uh, recently there was that plane that was diverted into Belarus so that they could arrest that journalist. Right? Do you remember that? Oh, no, I don't remember that. No, that was that was recent news, where there was a plane flying over Belarus. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah yes. I do remember this now. Yes, and the guy that was arrested was an opponent of the government who is backed by Putin. And in the previous election, he... Oh, Austria just scored. Oh. God damn it. That's a shame for North Macedonia there. But that was a good goal. 
It was nice, yeah. yeah. Great cross, David Alaba. Yeah. The goalkeeper maybe slightly just on the wrong side of it. The defenders couldn't quite get there. A fair a fair goal to, to Austria, but damn. But fuck those guys. Yeah, damn you, Austria. Yeah. Something was going on in Belarus. Belarus, another Putin-backed government. They tried to change to be more Eurocentric. The people wanted to move to be more towards Europe. And the government said, no, we're going to stay here anyway. And there would be protests about it. Anyway, so a reasonably similar story to Ukraine, except this government held on. But in the 2014 uh, protest, oh, they just did a, held up the show for Christian Eriksen there as well. Good guys. Yeah. Good, oh, my God. In the 2014 protests that were this, against this anti... Um, uh, I guess this pro-Russian president. It was a big, uh, a big movement with like uh, Vitaly Klitschko was was part of it. He's like a political opposition leader, but he wasn't anti the Ukrainian uh, anti the Ukrainian president enough. But if you watch documentaries about it, it's like he's there going, "Calm down, everyone!" And everyone's like, "Shut up, Vitaly! We're here for revolution!" <laughs> and there was basically a revolution. The president had to flee to flee to Russia. And um, the Russian government said, this is an illegal revolution that's taken place. Two months later, they invaded Crimea. Right. And that, that, that was it. They were like, they, you know, the, 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 government, the new government that formed uh, wanted to move more towards the EU, which threatened Russia's interests by having these, these naval bases. So one day, you've got these, um, they would call themselves like separatist groups. They had like referendums, illegal referendums, kind of like Catalonia in, in Spain where um, these like bits of eastern Ukraine, including, I have a feeling, Donetsk, but I don't want to throw that out there if I'm wrong, um, where the, the people there had these big referendums to say, we want to join Russia. But they were illegal referendums, right? There was no, there was no backing to them. Um, and so the Ukrainian government went, no, you're not joining Russia. So the Russians kind of just did it. The Russians, they, they had military bases in uh, Sevastopol and these other parts of Ukraine. Um, and so one day, the Russian military personnel just took their uniforms off walked out and just took it and, <laughs> and that, that was basically it jesus yeah and um they kind of uh, uh, aligned with these like uh ukrainian militias and then the russian military moved in and there were bi biker gangs and it's, it's 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 a whole thing um this is one of the f i think the first european invasion to have taken place since World War Two, where a, a, a European nation has just said, yeah, we're going to have that bit of land, and they just do it. And uh, Russia did a similar thing in Georgia, I think in... It was uh, just before the Beijing Olympics. 2008. 2008, yes. Yeah, they, uh, they uh, just... Dreamed, oh, we're going to have Georgia. It didn't go very well. Um, what did... Uh, that was a complicated situation. Again, I'm probably talking out of my ass. But, <laughs> but yeah, that's the whole thing. So the fact that Ukraine has put Crimea on their shirt is like a, a middle finger to Russia because it is currently unofficially illegally occupied by the Russians. And so the Ukrainians are saying it's ours and the Russians are saying, no, it's ours. That you would think would be enough to be an incident, right? But the glory to the heroes thing is where shit really kicks off. Because during the 2014 revolution that kicked out that pro-Russian president, they were chanting glory to the heroes as they did it. Which means that this is a directly anti-Russian slogan. When this slogan even goes further back to World War II, where pro-Ukrainian nationalists fought against the Soviet Union. And the Soviet Union said anyone who is anti-Soviet Union during World War II is a Nazi. 
And so what the Soviet Union said was, if you are chanting glory to the heroes in support of Ukraine, you are also supporting the, Na supporting the Nazis, which means you're supporting genocide, you're supporting the murder of the Russian people, you're supporting all of this stuff. So when the Ukraine says glory to the heroes on the back of their shirt, the Russians are like, you Nazi sons of bitches. Because they decided that you would, they would be. Yeah, that was kind of like, that was always the Soviet propaganda against Ukrainian nationalism, was that these Ukrainian nationalists were fighting alongside Nazis. So, therefore, they are Nazis. Therefore, you are a Nazi if you say glory to the heroes. And in 2018, the Ukrainian army started saying glory to the heroes as like a greeting to each other like hey buddy glory to the heroes like that <laughs> and the russians are like oh you can't say that it's not the nazi yeah. so by having it on there the russians are like you couldn't have a swastika on your shirt but you can have that why would the ukraine fa like even approve this because i know that uefa approved it initially didn't they, they have to yes because they, again it's it's a slogan that people in ukraine say to each other now yeah. It would be like having like three lines on the shirt, on your England shirt, if it had a history of, you know, English nationalism. Well, if, yeah, or something if it was related behind. to like the empire or something. Yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, it's again, it's a super complicated situation. Like, even as I'm trying to explain it, I'm saying what I know of it. But that's lacking, lacking all of the subtlety that, you know, that, that mm. goes that goes underneath that. But that's basically why this is why this is all kicked off. Um, but that's that thing, right? It's it's there to show Ukrainian solidarity and glory to Ukraine, glory to the heroes, glory to the people who fight, you know, who fight for our country. Crimea's on the shirt. We've got a nationalist slogan on the back. We're here to do it. And it wasn't until Russia went, but you can't say that about but Crimea's ours and you're a Nazi. It's like, you know. It seems so bizarre to me that in the 21st century, a country can just take a piece of another country and no and the UN or whoever is supposed to stop this shit from happening is not doing anything about it. Well this kind of ties back into what we said in the last episode. You remember the last episode what we said was Russia just do stuff and then say that it wasn't them. Yeah. That's very much what happened. That's why the Russian soldiers took their uniforms off when they stormed So that they could they be seen Crimea. to be Russian. Yeah so we know that it's Russian but the Russian because well, it wasn't us it was those militias. The militias did it for themselves. And if they want to join Russia, who are, we, who are we to say no? Like, lots of my Russian friends living in Moscow, like, even my students, they go on holiday to Crimea now. It's, it's a holiday destination. And it's, all, it's always been a Russian holiday destination, and people love going there. But before you had to cross borders to get there. Yeah, but now. it was never a big deal, because no, no, Ukraine and Russia were so close. Yeah, yeah. But since, 20, you know, then there was about two months where it was a big deal, and then Russia invaded. And now it's not a big deal anymore. Yeah. It's kind of like that. So I don't know if you remember what Trump got in problem for something to do with Ukraine. Do you remember that a few years ago? No. One of the many things that Trump got in, in trouble for. Um, because the president of the president of Ukraine now is uh, an ex sitcom actor. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, it's like if Zach Braff ran for president. No. Okay. All right. So imagine uh, who's who's the um, who's the the lead actress in Veep. Oh, um, who she was Dreyfus? in? She was Julie Louis Dreyfus. She was yes. in um, Winter Soldier. Yes, Falcons, indeed. Right? Yes. Okay, so it would be as if. She became the president of Ukraine. The president of Ukraine used to be in a comedy show about an incompetent president of Ukraine. What? And then after the revolution and a, another president took over, he ran in an election, kind of as a joke. 
to be like, look, the Ukrainian government is so incompetent that I, the actor who plays the incompetent president of Ukraine, would do a better job of it. And people were like, yeah. That's amazing. Well, that's like, you know, um, I'm sure you've seen, uh, is it In the Loop was the movie version of... The thick of it. Thick of it. Yeah, it's yeah. like the guy who played Amanda like Manucci. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Or there was a Robin Williams movie where uh, I think it was called Man of the Year. Yes. Where he played like a Colbert esque kind of late night satirical talk show host guy mm-hmm. who would constantly slander the president, and then people started saying, "What? Well, you should be president." Yeah. And then he decides, "You know what? I will." And he goes on the campaign trail and gets loads of support, and it's kind of like a. I suppose it's uh, it's a comedy, but I suppose it's got some elements of yeah. of truth to it. Yeah, a, a cutting satire. It's a cutting satire, yes. but Robin Williams is you know obviously super likable. Yes, it's kind of like that, but it's successful and he becomes president. <laughs> it's real. Yeah. Yes, and it's real. Yeah. So Trump got in a lot of trouble because as you as you were saying earlier, why does nobody do stuff about this? The Americans gave military support to Ukraine. They gave them like a billion dollars and they gave them military training and technology and stuff. America hasn't sent troops over to fight themselves because this is like an unofficial war, basically. But it, it is a war and it's ongoing. It's, this war still happening. Um, so the America was sending, uh, was sending military stuff and, you know, and money and funding. And then when was it? 2019, I'm going to say. You say it. I'm, I'm just throwing it out there. Um, Joe Biden looked like he was about to become the Democratic nominee to run for president, as we know he did, and he won it successfully. But Donald Trump wanted an investigation of Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, for possible illegal business deals that he was doing in Ukraine. He had sent people over to Ukraine. I think Rudy Giuliani was involved in it, of course. <laughs> yeah, that guy, that guy who was the mayor of New York during 9-11. Now, when you say his name, you start laughing. Like, yeah. That's, you know, that's how bad that's gone. But in order to try and get dirt on Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son, Donald Trump said to our sitcom president of Ukraine, if you don't help me find this dirt on Hunter Biden, I'm going to cut off the military aid to Ukraine in your fight against Russia. And the Ukrainian president was like, what? And this was all on the phone and it was all recorded. So Trump was, that was one of the things that he was kind of impeached over, was that Trump was willing to threaten international cooperation in a fight against Russia uh, for his own party political game. Just to dig up dirt on one of his... Yes, on one of his opponent's sons. Yeah. Yes. Um, And so that was a big thing. But of course, nothing happened to Trump because nothing ever happened to Trump. And uh, yeah, so anyway, we've managed to talk about the politics of Ukraine and find our way find our way back to Trump um, so that was a whole thing is I don't know if you know this but um, I wonder if Ukraine and Russia at least maybe maybe now if not in the past are two of those countries that the UEFA in the draw for tournaments and qualifying keep them separate mm. you know there are certain nations that in, in Eastern Europe and, and Central Europe oh who, no oh oh, oh. Marco, oh, no, the referee's running over. Marco Arnautovic just scored for Austria. Oh, that he, was another good goal, actually. Who's, he, who's he jeering at there? I don't know. He's yelling at somebody. Oh, he, oh he's saying something because Alva's run over there to shut him up. All right, so what's he complaining about? Nothing. He gets through. And he, he scores. So what's he angry about? Maybe he's been engaged in a bit of war of uh, words with one of the defenders. Right. Or is he pissed off that he didn't get picked? Yeah, maybe. 
I need to go to the toilet right now. Right. Something, something pops up anyway. Where are you going? I'm gonna use the downstairs one because I don't want you to. I don't want to get caught on the microphone. <laughs> Well, Dave, what did I predict the score of this game was going to end? I was going to say that you, when Macedonia equalised to one all, you said, well, it'll end 3-1, but at least it's nice that Macedonia scored. Yes, yeah, and these the Austrian coaches look very, very happy with themselves for a reason I don't fully understand. Um, well, it's a three points in the, in the European Championship when they've got important games to come. Yeah. In fact, that was probably the game they had to win. Yes, yes, you know, yeah, yeah, I think you're probably right. It's a shame, like, and I th North Macedonia, they look like they look pretty devastated with the result, but I think they played pretty well. It's a shame it ended 3-1. Yeah, maybe that's a bit unfair. And, you know, I, I actually said um, when we talked about Group B that Finland might end up being, like, the, the little team that could, like yeah. Iceland have were in the past. But maybe Macedonia are the team that people are actually starting to get behind because they put so much effort in. Yes, their, their hearts were clearly um, in the right place and they wore them on their sleeves and their talisman, Goran Pandev, got their goal having come out of retirement to help them qualify for this tournament. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to see them do well, but, you know, now their next two games are against the Ukraine and, and Holland. Yes, that's that's pretty... That's not ideal. It's not ideal. Sure. No. But, you know, I, I often wonder if you're, if you're a team that's never qualified for a major tournament or rarely qualifies for a major tournament and say you lose all three of your group games... Can you still go home like, well, we weren't even supposed to be here? Mm -hmm. Or is the mere fact that you got there enough to be disappointed by not, you know, not getting anything out of it? Yeah, I, yeah, it's kind of why, again, why I wish it had ended one all. Because that would have been, for them, that would have been as good as a victory. Yeah. You know, and yeah. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Yeah. Well, we can use what you, the question you just asked about Ukraine and Russia and whether or not they're kind of kept apart to transition into North Macedonia because... North Macedonia are a team um, that have lots of uh, Albanian players. And as we've spoken about, or uh, players of Albanian ethnicity mm. and heritage. And as we spoke about before, I think was it with Albania and Serbia that the teams deliberately are kept apart, I think. Or what was it? Do you remember during the World Cup? We said there was that there were two teams that had only played each other once. And when they did play each other, they had to call it off because yeah, of violence in the... it's in that, in that kind of pocket of Albania, Kosovo and Serbia. Yes. There's, there's, a, there's an awful lot going on there, which means they cannot ever play each other. And I was wondering if, if it was possible for Ukraine and Russia to meet at some point in this tournament. I think they'll have to play. I, th I, think, uh, I don't think it's, it's a case where... Um, maybe they would definitely they would try and not play in St. Petersburg. But you... you Plenty of Ukrainians live and work in Russia. It's not like um, so. It doesn't even though you said like it's basically an act of war, and they can't. It's they're not like in 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 effect to the people of the countries. They're not really at war. It's just the governments are pissy at each other. Yeah, but also it depends which part of Ukraine you live in, right? Mm. If you live in that Russian, Russian dominated area of Ukraine, many of those people want to be Russian more than they want to be with the European. Uh, like Kiev, Kiev maybe sees itself as being more like um, like a Budapest or something like that, right? Whereas yeah. the the rest, of the other like the the east of Ukraine wants to go more towards Russia and and that kind of thing. So it's a country that's you know it's just d divided by by history, which again is very similar to North Macedonia and those those Balkan Balkan nations, and like similar with with the Balkan nations, like 
North Macedonia, as we can kind of transition into, is a country that's been divided by, historically, it was under the rule of the Ottomans for, for 500 years, and so has been full of hundreds of different types of ethnicities, and I was the former Yugoslavian Republic of Macedonia, as we've spoken about before, yeah. which is an ex, you know, uh, a Soviet communist, or as a communist state, um, which kind of fell apart during this, the collapse of the Soviet Union as well. Um, and this transition over to North Macedonia, as it's now known, has only taken place over the last couple of years. Like, this is a big, a big step for them. And before, the, the former Yugoslavian Republic of Macedonia team didn't have many players who weren't Macedonian, because that was part of the old communist, you know, the old communist style. But now they do have these players of, of Albanian heritage that are, are coming through. And I think six, six of the, the Macedonian players are, are, are of Albanian ethnicity. And it feels similar to that Swiss, that Swiss team we were saying about with the Swiss team, where, you know, it's not just people who are historically Swiss. It's a, a team made up of, you know, of people who, you know, in terms of Switzerland, who moved there as refugees or, or things like that. And in, um, in the case of North Macedonia, the reason they got to their first ever European tournament is because they've embraced the diversity that exists within their country to get them to this point. Um, and it seems like they've got a pretty decent squad. I know we just watched them lose 3-1 in their first, you know, tournament game. But this is a groundbreaking moment for them to have reached this tournament. And the team played well. And it was yeah, it was really great to see. Yeah, they at least played with um, with with heart and conviction. Yeah. Uh, but to, uh, their squad, uh, their squad doesn't wouldn't give any any reader hope for them to achieve much. To be honest, they're they're quite sporadically um, spread out the squad throughout throughout Europe. Um, you mentioned Albania. I know they have one particular player who plays in, for an Albanian team. Okay. Um, but they have players based in in Croatia. Um, a couple that play for, still play for in in North Macedonia for North Macedonian teams. We've got some Cypriot team represented in there. Um, uh, one in Germany. You've obviously got Alioski plays for Leeds. Anyone who follows the Premier League might recognise him. But they they qualified for this tournament through that um, U, uh, UA, yeah, UEFA Nations League sort of playoff run, yeah. which. Um, uh, as the the TV pundits keep saying, people always say, "What's the point of the your, um, the Nations League?" Well, it's for teams like Macedonia to have a chance to go to get into a tournament. So they didn't qualify automatically, but they had to go through this um, qualifying playoff against Kosovo, which you know we just mentioned. Kosovo won one of those teams in in yeah. that same that I same think area. They, they share a border, perhaps. They, maybe maybe they do, um, but yeah, that they scraped through there with you know they won two one, and that was. A great moment for them and a super proud moment for their uh, for their country. But their most famous thing in the last in recent memories, they went to uh, they played Germany in the World Cup qualification match in March and beat them two one. Yeah. And you know the, what I've wanted to what I thought I was going to say about the German team when we get to them is changing. The more I look at about other teams and obviously Germany are in that group of death with um, with France and Portugal. Um, but yeah. Not even like in a pre-tournament friendly, which you can sometimes just throw away with a pinch of salt. Um, you know, they went to Duisburg in Germany and beat the Germans 2-1 in their backyard. So that's no mean feat, even if, if it was a friendly, but it wasn't. It was part of the qualification for the next the, the World Cup next year. So they've got an awful lot of heart and maybe the, their good results you could chalk up to flukes, more, as opposed to them being a solid team that you can count on that you can't take lightly. Um 
Whereas I'm sure Ukraine and Holland won't take them lightly. I just don't expect they'll be able to stand up to that kind of a, an affront. Yeah, so they've got the one, some of the people that the, the one player that the pundits were talking about, they've got Elif Elmas, who's a 21 year old who plays for Napoli. Yeah, he's like a yeah. bit of a, a bright spark in their, their team. But we've just watched that game and he didn't do much. He didn't turn up very much, no. There were the player that we liked, um, who was number, their number 17 yes. today, was uh, Bardi. He looked like a bright spark, who's making things happen. He is, looks like he has great feet, great composure on the ball. Um, and he was causing a lot of trouble. He got fouled a lot. Yes, usually, he did. Usually yes, a did. sign of a, a player that the other team are worried about. Um, so, yeah, it may turn out that this... Um, player that's been uh, touted before the game actually is is uh, not the, not the one that's really made their team tick. Yeah, so Bardi, the the player that we saw that we, we really enjoyed, Albanian father, mother from Kosovo. Wow. Which again is that uh, is that that thing coming in again. Elmas, that person that they were talking about, born in North Macedonia to Turkish parents. Uh the head of the North, the Macedonian uh football association of Albanian ethnicity. So this seems to have been a big thing from them, where like 20 years ago, despite the fact that this country was had a prominent Albanian population, like Albanians were being excluded. And now as they've kind of embraced, you know, this... Um, they've embraced the, the population rather than trying to segment them, as, as we may have seen. Like they, they've got to their first ever European tournament by doing that. And that's that... That same thing again we see with Switzerland, where, you know, some some of the most prominent Swiss players are of Albanian heritage. And so it kind of makes you wonder, where's Albania in this tournament? Yeah. Right? Albanian players are like the, the heart of the Swiss team, they're the heart of the Macedonian team. Why aren't they here? Why where's Albania out here kicking butt, flying the flipping the bird for themselves? Well, Albania just didn't didn't qualify. They're in the same qualification group as France and Turkey. And Iceland, and they finished fourth behind those three teams and only got more points than Andorra and Moldova in that team. So they just, just didn't make it. Yeah, I'm hoping to see, you know, to see a strong Albanian showing in the future. But it's just, yeah, it just seems like Albanian players are, are doing great just in other countries. Yeah, four <laughs> other countries. Yeah, four yeah. other countries, yeah. Yeah, but that's, again, it's nice to see that kind of, um, yeah, that is, to see how diversity is being used in a way that plays to the country's strengths rather than, you know... I think it's that, that thing we see with the England squad now as well, where, you know, it's, a, it's an ridiculously diverse squad at this point, and yeah. it's, it's, all, it's all the stronger for it. Well, I'll, I'll confess that when I first heard about Bukayo Saka, uh-huh. I did not expect him to be English. Yeah, <laughs> because right, right. It's, that's just the way that the, the English culture has changed, that people who have names like Bukayo Saka were born in the UK. Yeah. Full born. Yeah. You know, it's not all John Smiths and Bobby Moores and, you know, Bobby Charlton's and Harry Kane's and Wayne Rooney's. They don't all have to have English names. No. No. Which yeah. Which sounds really dumb and naive, so maybe I'll cut that. No, but no, you can keep it because it's it's not just an English phenomenon, right? Like, we've experienced that change over our lifetimes, but other countries are finding that same thing as well. And there are some countries that are trying to repress that in some ways, but those that are are learning to use it to their advantage, you know, those are the ones that really... Especially in, like, in footballing terms, are benefiting from it clearly. And if you you don't have to look any further than North Macedonia, it's like the fact that they're in this tournament is yeah is is down to that in big part. Um, again, North Macedonia, 
um, a country that's upsetting their big brother close by um, in Greece. Uh, Greece, who didn't make it to the tournament. I think that in, in itself is something that North Macedonia have been, uh, have been celebrating, that they made it here and Greece didn't. Greece didn't, yeah. Yeah, because um, the, the name North Macedonia has, is um, strongly disputed by Greece, who say they're not allowed, you're not allowed to call your country that. Um, they were always upset at the former Yugoslavian Republic of Macedonia because they were fine with the Yugoslav part, but they were not fine with the Macedonia part. What what can Greece possibly say about what other country wants to call itself? Well, because they said because it, of course it was the former Yugoslavian part, which suggests that you are the Republic of Yugoslav. But by saying you are now the former Yugoslavian Republic of Macedonia, you are therefore the Republic of Macedonia. Now they're just the Republic of North Macedonia. But the point is that the part of the northern territory of Greece is part of what was historically Macedon. And so the Greeks say that by calling yourself North Macedonia, you're saying that you have some kind of dominion over the north of our country, which is also Macedonia. Right. And Macedonia is the the uh, the empire famously led by Alexander the Great, as we spoke about in a previous episode. Alexander the Great, king of Macedonia, conquered all of the known world at, at that point. He just kind of headed east and kept going until he got to India. Um, and they say, that's our history, that's Greek history, and North Macedonia would dispute that fact. And so that's, you know, this is, um, you have your, your Israel-Palestine uh, conflict over this, and um, the uh, the Greek conflict goes back even further than that one. So, yeah, it's it, it's a whole thing. So the, <laughs> the the North Macedonians, probably pretty happy that the Greeks aren't here, and they are, and they can be like, nah, 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 <laughs> like that. Yeah. Um, but you know, after after that loss to Austria, I'm, I bet there's some Greek fans who are who are pretty pretty happy about it. But <laughs> forget those. That's what that's what I say. Good good on you, North Macedonia. Our final team of the day, Austria. They just obviously they just beat the uh, they beat the new Alexanders three <laughs> one. I have to say, after watching them play. They they played they you know they're good good at football. I didn't enjoy watching them play though. No, you had a problem with the the attitude of a few of them, didn't you? Yeah, a couple of them. I kind of was was watching play like, I don't know. They're, they're just aggressive, like needlessly aggressive, like throwing fouls in. There were a couple of their players that I was just watching, like, and even when they scored that third goal, the guy was pretty aggressive in his celebration. It's like guys, that you're it's North Macedonia you're playing here. You know, it wasn't like this is the final and you're against Germany or, you know, I don't know who an Austrian rival is, but I doubt it's North Macedonia. Their main rival is Hungary, surprisingly. Oh, OK. Well, yeah, that makes sense. The Austro-Hungarian Empire. Yeah, yeah I, guess, I guess that makes sense to, to, have, uh, yeah, to have that, that historic tie and that historic rivalry. Um, but what do you make of the Austrian, the Austrian team? Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. They looked quite strong. I mean, obviously they conceded a goal against... North Macedonia, but it was a bit of a defensive mix-up, and yes. Goran Pandev using all of his experience to mm-hmm. to take advantage of that situation. But the squad, yeah, it, the squad seems seems quite good, and they've got their talisman David Alabo just kind of pops up wherever the hell he wants and makes things happen. He set up the second goal. Marko Arnautovic, it was who scored that last goal. He used to play for West Ham, and he left to go play in China for some. You were going to say for some reason. The reason is money, Dave. Those dollar-dollar bills. Dollar-dollar bills. So yes. Yeah. But he left, he left like two years ago and he's only played like 30 games for Shanghai Port. 
scored right. 20 goals because he's one of those players that you could just like I never got like Fellaini went there and Oscar left Chelsea to go yeah. to play for China so what's the standard there this seems like players who are like if they're if you want to be generous to them they are thinking ahead and going a footballer's life uh, lifespan is, in a career is short mm-hmm. and sure I'm on this many thousands of pounds a week now but by the time I turn 35 nobody's going to want to do that for me anymore and then I've got to live another maybe 60 years so why not go play in a country where I get paid an exorbitant amount of money? Then I can do whatever I want or be more lazy in my later years or whatever it is, or to, you know, do they want to put it in investments or whatever it is. It just seems like the lifestyle or financial security or whatever is more important to the players to do that than the game, mm. the sport, the competition. Um, so I I lose a little bit of respect for players who do that, especially Anatovic, who was... Only, well, he's 32 now, but he left when he was 29. So he was still had the chance to have gone to another English club, another European yeah. club. Well, he could have just stayed at West Ham. Like, he was yeah. a star. We yeah. loved him. He was great. He has that combustible uh, attitude that we saw when he scored. And yeah, yeah. It'd be interesting to fi- re- find out what happens about that or what is said about that because he seemed he scored and he seemed to yell very directly at somebody with mm. rage, utter rage. Yeah. And then the celebrations with David Alaba were a bit crazy. So, yeah, I wonder what the story is The story is there. But the vast majority of their team plays plays in Germany. Besides Anatovic, who plays in Shanghai, they've got one uh, midfielder, Schaub, who plays uh, in Switzerland. Uh, David Alaba, obviously, has just left Germany, left Bayern Munich, and he's joined Real Madrid. Um, the only Austrian players who play in Austria are Andreas Ulmer, the 35-year-old defender, who plays for Red Bull Salzburg. And uh, their number one choice goalkeeper, um, well, their number one shirted goalkeeper, Alexander Schlager, plays for LASK in Austria. But we saw Daniel Backman, the Watford goalkeeper, played um, played in the first game. But that's only his fourth cap, so good for him. Either he's up and coming or they thought, we can if we're going to mix up the goalies, we'll save the, our number one choice for the harder games. Um, but they've a good. There's a good number of caps spread out across the squad. Like they seem to be a, a unit that have been together for a long time. Um, and Anatovic, maybe he's angry because he didn't start the game when he's one of their top scorers. Ever one of their high, he's got. I think he's got the most caps of anyone in the squad. Uh, he's got eighty nine. Who's beat, somebody beats him? Alexander Dragovic, defender, beats him with with ninety one, and that's it. And he's by far their top goal scorer for of this from this crop. So yeah, if I was him, maybe I'd be a bit pissed that I didn't get picked to start the first game of the season. Um, but yeah, they they seem squat strong against North Macedonia. What can we expect from them against stronger teams? I don't really know. We we saw them play against England mm. in in Middlesbrough not too long ago. But again, I don't you don't really know what you can say about those games because we know that England didn't play their best team yes. and Austria maybe didn't. Marcel Sabitzer is one of their star players which is one of the lads that you didn't particularly like right. in, in that game. And I remember he played against England, but didn't really... Did he have long hair? Much. He's got a bit of a man bun like me. Yeah. Which colour? Dark hair. Yeah, I didn't like him. Yeah, yeah. Is it number, number nine? Number nine, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nine. But um, yeah, they've, in the, the qualifying games that they've played this year, they lost 4-0 at home to Denmark. Right. Um, they drew 2 all away to Scotland, and the only game they've won uh, this, this calendar year um, is against the Faroe Islands. And now North Macedonia. And now so if you're looking at the, your run of form and your two victories are against, you know, your two recent victories against North Macedonia and the Faroe Islands, yeah. you might be going into Ukraine 
Holland thinking, well, thank God we just got that win because we need the momentum. A bit to... of momentum. Yeah. Yeah. And if you go back into the uh, the Nations League in November, they beat Luxembourg in Northern Ireland, then drew with Norway. Right. One all. So, you know, they're about as strong as you would... If if you said to any randomer in the street, do you think Austria have a good team? <laughs> right, yeah. How good say, do you think Austria are in yeah, football? Yeah. Eh. They're probably... I've never heard of them, so they're probably not that great. So, right. Well, that's probably a fair shot. Okay. So we're looking at... Okay, so... The, Austria, we're not looking at surprises. The fact that they've got three points here, these are the three points we would have expected them to pick up. Right, against North Macedonia. Um, well, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Like we said when the game finished, these are the most important. That's the most important yes. game for yeah. them. Done. They have to get, they have to they get, had a, win. To get a win. There, yeah. yeah, they've done that. So what we're looking for... God, Roy Keane has a good beard. That is excellent bearding. He looks ready to be in a Viking TV show. <laughs> Give that man an axe. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, all, that's the end of the episode. No. So Austria, they've got the three points. They had to get that anyway. They're just happy to have gotten that, you know, they've got that out the bag. Mm. Ukraine, possibly up for an upset here. You know, historically, we'd say, you know, the, it's, it's Holland. But maybe Holland aren't as strong as they could be. And Ukraine are on a, you know, look, Ukraine are looking good. They're jazzed up for it. They're ready to go. They're on a patriotic super attack yeah. to get through to the next. Well, speaking of like momentum and their run, um, they they played their warm up friendlies were against Cyprus and Northern Ireland, which they both they won both four 0 against Cyprus, one 0 against Northern Ireland. But then all of the rest of their games this calendar year have been one all draws. Right. Away to France, home to Finland, home to Kazakhstan, and home to Bahrain. So you're pretty one happy. You're pretty happy with your one all draw to France, but as you get further down that list, you're less and less happy with the. You're one getting closer draw. and closer to a major tournament, and you can't beat Finland or Kazakhstan or Bahrain. You scrape a one 0 win against Northern Ireland. Yeah. But then your last game a week before the tournament is a four 0 drubbing of Cyprus. Yeah, your, take that your, Cyprus. Get your confidence up. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I I think. I I, I'm pretty confident Ukraine will beat North Macedonia. They'll probably beat. Austria, so whether or not they finish top of the group will depend on if Holland show this up. Result, this result tonight. Well, yeah. the coverage has already started for us for the Holland, the Holland, um, Ukraine match. Yeah, Nigel oh. de Jong there looking like a some sort of super villain. Yeah, a very I, handsome super villain. I was about to say the same thing. Yeah, yeah. So well, I don't know if you remember the World Cup. Was it twenty ten where he karate kicked Jabby Alonso in the chest? I don't. So, I don't remember that. However, <laughs> we know he's got supervillain pedigree. He does. Yeah. 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 If you're ever looking for a supervillain henchman or somebody to cast in your movie, you could definitely do a karate kid. <laughs> yeah. You know who to look to. Let's just get into this. Go watch this Ukraine game. I'm excited. Yeah. This, yeah. this is like we said. This is the this is the main event after the undercard ma- uh, match, which was quite entertaining in itself. Yeah. 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 Let's just hope it's not. A bore draw. Yeah, this is our third game of football today. Next episode, we're on to Group D. We've already seen one of the matches, Dave. The first game we saw today. How did England, that happen? Croatia. Dave doesn't know how it's happened. I've already told him. It's a time difference thing, but he's not having it. He's not convinced. We'll do some research and get back to you on how that could possibly be. How would you play the Group D games before the Group C games? It's time difference. That's why. I don't, I'm not buying it. He's not buying it, folks. So we'll get back to you on how that pans out and why Dave now owes me money. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Who Watches the World Cup. If you've enjoyed it, you know someone who you think might enjoy it as well, 
like, subscribe, share, all the good stuff. And we will catch you soon for the next episode. That was good. That was a good one. <laughs>